different perspectives. Welcome to Hard Knock Life. I'm Keith Chow. I'm Dama. I'm Sean Taylor. Welcome back to the program, Sean Taylor. We're going to make this a regular occurrence, aren't we? Yes, we are. Now that my schedule is, well, my schedule is always crazy, but it's less crazy at the time now. Well, it's nice to have you back, Sean. Appreciate that. Always nice to have you on the podcast, of course, Dominic. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be part of this team. <laughs> it's becoming like a team instead of a duo. but It is. I like being on a team as well. Uh, speaking of teams, we're not going to talk about Birds of Prey this week. Or are we? I don't know. Can we tend to... This has become the Birds of Prey podcast over the last several weeks. And it deserves it. It's appropriate. You can still go see it in theaters. You can spend some money on that one. Sean, you had wanted to make a couple comments since you haven't had a chance to speak to Birds of Prey on the podcast. I mean, everything but the ending was absolutely stellar. It's the second best DC flick out there. And those of you who... I mean, I get you have these Marvel loyalists who aren't going to cross... Me, I'm a geek. I'm going to go see everything. And I think you got a lot of these little weird He-Man, Woman Haters Club people who are like, the whole movie is, is, is about hating men. Okay. And it's really not if you actually look into what's really going on. But my thing is, go see it. I saw it twice in the same day. Cool. I don't think I've done that since Blade Runner. Cool. And Attack the Block. And Attack the Block. Never mind. But this, I love Birds. I mean, Birds of Prey, that's one of the few films I will buy when it comes out. So I agree. I think the ending for me is actually where I loved it, to be honest. It was one of it's one of the few comic book movies I thought that had a great ending compared to like every other CG mess (laughs) that comes out of. Wait, what did you what were your dude's concerns with the ending? Or, Sean, what did you do? It just felt, I mean, it, it was it was very like, here's a sequel telegraphed for all to see. Oh. You know, it just felt like really like almost too broad for me, the ending. And I was like, yeah, oh, you mean like you the know. ending ending, not the not the funhouse fight. Oh, not that was great. Oh, <laughs> so like, my beef film. is the last three minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, just, it just felt like it felt just a little overplayed. The ham overplayed a little bit in the ending. But yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of that, I mean, Fair. I think it's just, it's, it's, it's just great. And I think it has some of the best fight choreography we've seen since like john wick which makes sense yeah exactly but it was really great about her is because it was like it wasn't her just being overly powered it was just like i'm gonna fight this way because of my body type and it was so well choreographed and any good fight scene tells a story right yeah it's why the winter soldier fight scene between bat rock and captain america worked so well and the right. falling CG orgy in Black Panther punching in the middle of the air did not work at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting example. A lot of the the reason I think the movie works so well is because of Kathy Ann, the director. And I read somewhere in an interview that she did where she talked about, to Sean's point, how she wanted to depict the women fighting the way women would fight. Because oftentimes in action movies, the assumption is that a woman has to fight the way a man does for it to like look realistic or whatever, but it doesn't make any sense. And she wanted the individual characters on screen, whether it's Harley, whether it's Huntress, whether it's Black Canary or Renee Montoya to fight not only what fits their body type, but fight the way a woman would fight. And my favorite aspect of this movie is that you can tell the movie was made by women no. from from the, the lack of a male gaze to depicting the fight scenes. Even the camera angles weren't just like, hi, I have a penis. It was right. like, you know, the, the ca- even the camera angles were just more considered, which I thought was really amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I was wrong. We are, we are going to start the show talking about Birds of Prey. This is 
Hard Knock Birds of Prey Life Part 5. Hey, it's only fair. If we talked about Star Wars for like a whole month, we can talk about Birds of Prey for a <laughs> yeah. month. That's the Birds Knock Life. Yeah, the Bird Knock Life. The Hard Bop Life, I think. Is yeah. a, that... <laughs> that, ooh, dude. Gotta be careful I like that one. The, I like the ending, <laughs> the very ending, because it reminded me of Train Spotting, where like about did a big team t- together, and then she just takes off with the money. I mean, right. I know. yeah. <laughs> but Train Spotting, that movie makes me itch. It is such a dirty, filthy movie. <laughs> like every, I've seen the movie twice, and I've taken like super hot showers afterwards. That is such a <laughs> grimy movie. Well, yeah, that's why I thought and Birds of Prey was evoking that, that, that kind of wrongness. And obviously the Ewan McGregor, yeah. yeah, He makes me itch too, that's a different story. <laughs> he makes me itch in places as well. Um, no, <laughs> he just seems like he just maybe, black he, just, he just like, he just, like, he just bathes like every like six weeks. I don't know about that, about that guy. There's just certain people who just like walk around with like a greasy aura and he's like one of them and that's just probably me. There's something about him, I don't know what it is. I like it because he's yeah. a great actor, but I'm like, I bet you that dude's thing. The movie's been out a month. It doesn't matter. But the the way that the Black Mask meets his end in this movie, I was thinking, I did see the movie a second time. And th- during the second time when I watched the the end where, where Black Mask essentially blows apart. <laughs> and you mentioned Star Wars, Dominic. I did think that, like, I was wondering how... Darth Maul would appreciate the end of this movie because it's like <laughs> oh, you're right. Justice for Darth Maul <laughs> is how like I... Darth Maul getting yeah. bifurcated. Yeah, Darth Maul went out like he went out like a punk. Oh my god! <laughs> and that... so does Black Mask. So it's like yeah, turned about as fair play for we got it. We have Obi-Wan to do. Kenobi. We have to do like the worst cinematic death episode. That's a good themed Cinema- episode. We we'll gotta do, do that, that one because there's too many that are just been absolute trash. Yeah, that, we'll save that for a later episode. This week, we don't have a theme, so we're just going to do an extended What's Nerd Poppin', especially because I feel like Dominic and I haven't done the Nerd Poppin' over the last couple weeks. So we're going to spend this episode just going over what's Nerd Poppin' for each of us. And since, Sean, this is your first time back in a while, we're going to start with you. What is Nerd Poppin' in your life right now, Sean? So Taylor? first of all, we got to give a super shout out to artist, curator, scholar John Jennings. For the launch of his Megascope line with Abrams Comic Art, yes. Which Sean, you had the exclusive uh, scoop on, yeah. For the for the news about the the launch of Megascope, so congrats on that. Thank you. And we actually posted the press release, and I just think that the the people he has from Betty Orkafor to Tanner Reeve, to Stephen Barnes, to all these people, we talk about we want Daniel Jose Tom. Older, Daniel Jose Older. We talk about we want I mean, Natasha Womack, Tana Tucker, who's one of the dopest artists in comic world i mean like everybody who's contributing chuck collins like everybody who's contributing to this line are just like heavyweights in their own right but to put them all under the banner which says a couple of things that everybody loves john jennings i've met i've met <laughs> no one who said a bad thing especially if you say a bad thing about john jennings i'm smacking you face that's just, that's just a who will say anything bad about john he's the nicest dude <laughs> he's too nice that's the problem I'll he's say something nice. bad. John Jennings is too nice. <laughs> and he's talented, but the launch of And he's Megascope, too goddamn talented. Fuck, he's too talented. Fuck John Jennings, actually. <laughs> Hashtag too talented fucker. No, um, but the thing the thing it is, is though, like it, it is, it is. But the thing is, is that this line is gonna revolutionize how we look because he's not trying to, like I said, like DC and Marvel who are just trying to like, you know, evergreen their IP for cinematic mm-hmm. use. 
he's doing it because he loves the form. And very few people, I feel like, love the form anymore. They love the form as a stepping stone to movies or television. <laughs> he loves comics. And I think this, plus Abrams comic arts have done some of the absolute best books. I mean, they did the, the, the last two Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler, right. Which yeah. John worked, John and his partner, Damien Duffy worked and on. And Dr. Damien Duffy did it. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing. I mean, that's my one thing. Like if you haven't read the announcement, please go to nerdscolor.org and read the announcement. But my yeah. other Nerds popping is Superman Heroes number one. Outside of it being five ninety nine, which I almost like choked the comic <laughs> guy. I was like, "Excuse me." Okay, so if you read this book and you don't think that a good, just, aspirational Superman movie can be filmed, you don't deserve to ever utter Superman's name ever again. Because you know this is—I don't know if poor people catch up with DC Comics, but this is. Um, Superman announces that he's Clark Kent, or mm-hmm. Clark Kent and Superman, whatever he does, he does, he exposes his secret identity to the world voluntarily, not through some cruel trick. You know, he has, and it's like, I mean, he's, I mean, there's parts where he's negotiating with it with his wife, and there's a beauty, and it's all done with like Brian Michael Bendis and all the Greg Rucka, Rucka, Fat Matt Fraction, all yeah, the people yeah. who are who are writing these books. But there's one particular um, sequence in there where Wonder Woman goes to Wayne Manor to talk to Batman, and he's like, "No, we're gonna go talk in the cave." And there's mm-hmm. this, there's this, this vulnerability and this jealousy that that Bruce is expressing about Clark being able to like shed his secret identity, uh, and it is so heartfelt and so beautifully rendered. It made me love Batman, who I'm not the biggest Batman fan, but it made me love Batman and Superman way more than I've ever done before. I mean, it, it touched me so bad that I literally went and watched a couple episodes of Superman and Batman TAS. Because it was just like I, I, I was like I got to get back into these characters. It was so. Yeah. I mean, so if you if you haven't if you haven't got on this train for this for this particular um, Superman story, please pick up Superman Heroes number one. And that just came out. That that was just uh, last Wednesday. Week's... Uh, last Wednesday, yeah, last Wednesday. Yeah. Well, it goes to show that like you said about Superman, and I, I completely agree. And this is this is a dilemma that I've talked about a long time. That for so many creators, so many writers, they assume that the only well, the only reason that we only ever get the the origin of Superman is because that's only the only interesting story, right? And we never get like other stories because you know, look at how many times a character has been rebooted. And then we get creators, we get writers who are always assumed that like the only way you can make Superman cool is to make him edgy, and it kind of misses the whole boat on what the character is supposed to be. And right? most of these people who want to talk about edgy aren't edgy; they're just violent. <laughs> and their their version of edgy is like masturbating with sandpaper. I'm like, these guys are stupid. <laughs> like, you want to make Superman edgy? Let's do a Clark Kent in high school where he's looking through people's skirts and then have to confront his misogyny with his powers because his powers makes him the number one pervert on the planet. Like, like <laughs> let's have that conversation if you want to be edgy. Edgy is choosing not to kill somebody when you can. Like, that's edgy. This little edgelord shit is just, basically all it is is just hot topic in cinematic form it's stupid it's true and superman does it every day i never really thought about it that way but every day it's got to be like i gotta not kill this guy <laughs> yeah, every day they never really go I through can... that thought process <laughs> that's something that like i that's why i love smallville so much because i feel like of all of the superman stories smallville was the only one that gets at that kind of what you were saying about the the self-control it takes for clark kent to be 
a good person and not because he's this raging like psychopath inside that that if you know given the slightest thing he's going to like murder the world which is the kind of Zack Snyder view of who Superman is but is that self-control even like on an everyday basis when he hugs somebody when he playfully punches someone on the arm the amount of self-control it takes for him to not kill someone to do that when right? he makes love to his wife like damn yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, and that, I mean there's something about somebody who has to be careful that's super interesting. I mean, he could have been the best athlete. Mm. Right. He could have played NBA, NFL. I mean, there's a whole storyline in Smallville about how he wants to play football, but his father won't let him because of, you know, what it means for him, not just to not hurt the other players on the field, but like, is it even fair for him to use his abilities to be a star football player, knowing that he can't get hurt, knowing that he's faster than everybody. So like all of those kinds of really interesting questions are, are what I think is the appeal of Superman. And, mm-hmm. and the notion that, like, he's too goody two-shoes to be a compelling character. Chris Evans as Captain America proves that you can have, like, a big blue Boy Scout as your lead character in a massive multi-billion dollar superhero franchise, and people will still love it. Like, Captain America doesn't have to, like, you know, lose the star-spangled costume and, like, snap people's necks for him to be cool. And I'm going to go out on a limb, and people can fight me if they want, they'll lose. But... I think most people don't like Superman, especially this, you know, or when they do it, because I think people literally, I think Marvel got in the game well early, and people are almost afraid to give DC any type of props at all. Well, yeah. I mean, cause there, there's just something about this, like this bifurcation of like Marvel or DC. I prefer DC books more than Marvel books, but I bought two Marvel books last week. I mean, it's not like you have to go, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think that there's something about like, having to constantly this and, and not to mention that warner brothers exhausted almost all of their goodwill with right the well yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let dominic speak to that but I, as a mm-hmm. as our resident marvel fan dominic <laughs> i'm just listening with interest <laughs> no but i mean i think i also think there's there's too much put on the marvel versus dc aspect of it because honestly i feel like some of the people the people who hate dc the most are dc fans <laughs> yeah, because you're not because you're not uh, falling into their little micro traps. Of, That's how I imagined it. Right, exactly. But I mean, what do you think, uh, Dominic, about like the idea of Superman in a Captain America esque role for the DC franchise? Well, it's a hard one because Superman starts from the super powered place, and a lot of people, duh, <laughs> to say the most obvious thing about comic books. But I mean, <laughs> he started. <laughs> But I mean, some people glom onto Superman in the very traditional way of just imagining yourself as ultimately powered, being able to handle anything, as opposed to starting from, you know, the work out your physical body until you're as as good as a human being can be kind of model. And so you can get into that thing of like, whether, you know, you're Superman or Batman team and, um, you know, but Batman's much more psychologically fucked up character. And Superman is kind of the goody two shoes. So in uh, all that goes towards, you know, Marvel gets to have the starting point of Captain America kind of building from the underdog human guy up. And they don't get into people who are super overpowered until, you know, Thor and uh, Captain Marvel. So, no, I mean, I just think it's interesting thinking about Superman because I'm really not a big Superman fan. But how you just in terms of like building a universe and how 
audiences do or don't attach themselves to that universe if the starting point is essentially a person of mass destruction (laughs) right who doesn't use it for destruction i mean right right well that's right that's exactly the point and i think that that you know that's what makes him so interesting is that he is capable of all this but he doesn't do it and i think that's the opposite that we always get on screen right is it like you know it's the superman out of control it's like the the hulk version of superman The, the the Zack snyder movies are basically about is like what and not just Zack. i don't want to mean to pile on Zack snyder but even like the injustice video games where it's all about like you know superman is this now or the frank miller batman but like superman is now this like you know government stooge or he's he's lost lois lane so now he's like killing everybody left and right and i I just like i just wish people would lean in on the earnestness of the character and it's not like uh, a detriment. I think that's that's his biggest strength, actually. I mean, and that's but. why I think Grant Morrison's All Star Superman was such a great yes way to kind of reinvigorate the character and give us a Superman that we really and truly all deserve. Like that to me is amazing. Like, all right, yeah, like, that I agree. Supposed to be. And I, I've I've said this too on this podcast that if we really want an edgy Superman movie, then they should adapt Kurt Busiek's Secret Identity comic, where it's like this regular dude named Clark Kent who whose family names him Clark because they're big Superman fans. Then Superman is just a fictional character in this world. Yeah, that actually was a really good book. And then one day he wakes up with Superman's powers. And it's one of the best Superman comics I've ever read. So, so I mean, there's a, there's a Superman story called For Tomorrow, illustrated by Jim Lee. And it's written by Brian Azzarello, who I'm not a fan of normally. Mm. But this just turns out to be, there's a scene where Superman like basically talks to a priest and sees that the priest is dying of cancer. And there's this beautiful sentimentality, not like therapy, not saccharine, but like just like you just know that Superman actually cares. And here's a god, basically, talking to a priest and him being humble before this man of God in a way that it should be the other way around. And it's just such a beautifully mm-hmm. rendered sequence in the book. And I think that if you start looking, if you actually read Superman comics, you know for a fact that you could do a good film. Like, yeah. My dream Superman flick is the opening of the film is Superman flying down and helping a kid fix a tire of his car. Yeah. Like, like it's, know, the, it's the classic Christopher Reeve saves the girl's cat from the Exactly. Train. Did you guys not know that those first two movies existed? Yeah. Like, yeah. how are you well, not? Although, but the, you know, the thing is, that scene, if you go back and watch it, it's also super dark. Because when he gives her the cat and she goes back inside her house and she's like, mommy, mommy, this flying man saved my cat from the tree. And the mom says, stop lying. Smack. Yeah. No. <laughs> is that what happens? Oh, yes. man. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Superman, he's going there. <laughs> follow up on that one. Very true. Very true. But hey, but you know, I got to take off. Yeah, yeah. Sean's going to leave early. How can people find you on the internet, Sean? At Real Love Punk on Twitter. And that's really it. I'm not the most social media guy because I just, it takes a lot of energy to keep it up. And I'm old. <laughs> Very true. And I'm a dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, until next time, take care of yourselves. All right. All right. Take care. So we're going to take a break. And then Dominic and I are going to come back on the other side. We're going to share what's popping for us. Chops on the track. podcast we're calling southern fried asian and as always i will be your host keith chow this is a podcast in which we'll talk to people and hear the stories of asian americans who rep the south typically when you think of asian america you might think of new york city los angeles san francisco but you may not think of atlanta georgia durham north carolina 
Virginia Beach, Virginia, the Mississippi Delta, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. What does it mean to be Asian American in the South? Please join us on Southern Fried Asian and subscribe to us on iTunes and all the places where you can find podcasts. We're back. Sean had to step away, but it's now me and Dominic still talking about what's nerd popping for us. So Dominic Ma, what is nerd popping for you this week? Okay. Well, we didn't talk about Birds of Prey for 20 whole minutes. So I have to come back to Birds of Prey. <laughs> is, is Birds of Prey still nerd popping? <laughs> it, well, it is still literally nerd popping. But I mean, these branch out to larger topics. But I mean, there are two things. I'll start with, I'll, I'll, I'll say one really quickly. Cassandra Kane comes back as in her original Batgirl costume in this DC comic called Deceased Unkillables, which is out now. Did you know about this? I know about Deceased. I didn't know that Cassandra Kane came back as Batgirl. Yeah. The basic premise is, uh, you know, a version of the anti-life equation has turned most mm-hmm. of the world into zombies. A few people survive like Deathstroke because they have a healing factor or whatever. And most of the core Bat family has been slain. As one does. As as happens, alternate universe, and uh, Jason Todd goes looking for survivors, and he finds Batgirl with her pretty much her original costume, the weird featureless mask, mm-hmm. and uh, the very like black on black look. She's the last costumed Bat person on the planet in this. Deceased is not in continuity, right? It's its own kind of like. What yeah, if it's an, story, it's an Elseworld. Elseworlds, yeah. Which they do whenever they need to do a storyline where most of the people are dead, basically. I mean, they, can, they can't do that every <laughs> month, right? But, right, but, right. Uh, I mean, in, in main continuity, but they still want to... But, you know, apocalyptic stories are the best, right? So they have to find a way to tell them. So this is, yeah, it's just, it's just out of continuity. And, I mean, that's notable also because in main continuity, I think Cassandra Kane is being orphaned. Right. That's her code name, Little on the Nose, yes, yeah. <laughs> for superhero stories. So there was something about them calling back to her original Batgirl form. Right. In this comic, for you know, for those of us who uh, have fondness for, you know, her, her way back when Batgirl identity. Still the best Batgirl costume. Yeah, really good costume. That was the main yeah. thing. The Batgirl costume comes back and deceased unkillables. And it's a pretty good story. It you know, it's a bunch of Deathstroke and Red. It's a little too Marvel zombies for me, though, I think. Well, sure. I mean, everyone apes off each other's zombie stories. I just feel like zombies are so, like, four years ago. <laughs> Maybe me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the one that's over zombies. Zombies so. <laughs> literally will never die, dude. <laughs> that's one thing. I mean, they're well, evergreen. I don't think zombies have the same, like, you know, peaks and valleys arc as other pop cultural motifs i think there's just like a a yearly appetite for zombies i think they hit their zenith maybe like when the walking dead was was at its height you know which is interesting because like for me i grew up hating zombies like i could not i could not even see a zombie like if i looked at a picture of a zombie i couldn't listen to thriller by michael jackson because (laughs) like if my cousin would play the play the cassette and i would like shut it off i'm so scared and then I just started watching zombie movies like, you know, and it was like, oh, OK, it's fine. <laughs> but I feel like there was a period where like even regular TV, uh, like a fucking candy commercial, there'd be like a really grotesque zombie in the commercial. And it's like, man, if I was five years old today, I would be so freaked out constantly because there's like zombies everywhere because there's such a zeitgeisty pop culture thing at the moment. 
Yeah. And I would have hated it. I would have hated it if I was five years old right now. Oh, man. It's interesting you say that. I mean, because I also had the thing of the thriller video kind of <laughs> scarred my childhood nightmares for a long time and developed an aversion towards zombies. Yeah. So there, there's, there's some kind of cognitive development thing related to the thriller video where people are, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's triggered the, by zombies uh, yeah. or and then some people just love zombies. But anyway, right, I mean, right, right, right. This might develop into a theme of this podcast regarding kid stuff because Tra- actually kid trauma. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I had another point to make, which is also birds of prey related and also deals with the subject of kid stuff and things that are good or bad for kids. But, you know, we can, Put that off for a minute because we can also talk about another kid stuff kind of thing, such as toys, if I may try to make that segue. Because I know you wanted to yeah. discuss Toy Fair related yes, things. Yes, that's what's nerd popping for me, for sure. We're actually recording this before Toy Fair kicks into full effect. So I only have some of the like the, the reveals and some of the, the big news. By the time you're listening to this, there will be a lot more announcements, a lot more reveals. But this is, I think, you know, the most wonderful time of the year for me is the is Toy Fair. And I've actually never gotten the opportunity to visit Toy Fair, although I've been invited several occasions. I just it's just timing wise, I can't get up to New York around the time Toy Fair usually happens. Fortunately for me last year, Dominic, you were living in New York at the time. And I was like, hey, do you want to go to Toy Fair? And you were like, sure. (laughs) Oh, it's so much fun, dude. You got to get there one time. I would like to do that very much. But yeah, Toy Fair happened this weekend. And I've, I've said many times, like, my nerd lane is not comic books. It's not movies. It's action figures. <laughs> like, that's cool. that's where I find myself in the in the nerd space. But uh, what did you want to what did you want to speak to as far? Do you want to reminisce about Toy Fair and rub it in that I've never been? Oh, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, th- this time last year, I was lucky enough to go to Toy Fair representing nerds of color in new york in the javits center this and and you know i'm not as familiar with the toy lane as you are Mm. but like the thing i remember most is there some of some of the mashups of like all the dc characters and the chinese imperial palace guards yeah 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 that was pretty exciting and then you know on the (laughs) other end of the convention hall were the mashups of the marvel characters and Japanese film archetypes like samurais and stuff. So my very right, right. favorite thing remains looking at the action figure models of samurai, Deadpool, and then there was Chinese Imperial Palace Deathstroke, and wondering which <laughs> uh, who would win, who would in, a win in a fight there for the <laughs> for the title of East Asian right plus. supremacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even Marvel versus DC. It's like China versus Japan, which is yeah, a whole that would other, have so like... many freaking levels. So in that, in that, so there, the the action figure imagination leveled up on a comics reality uh, and created a story that you know I really wanted to see. And of course, the simplest way to do it would be to buy the toys and act it out with my own self. Well, that's true. (laughs) But you see, Dominic, once you've reached our age, like, and you buy these toys, you don't actually play with. I've become the villain of Toy Story (laughs) Two. That's why I don't. That's why I don't buy the toys. But please. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like the the Wayne Newman character, right? The the Wayne Knight character. Wayne Newman is his character in Seinfeld. But the Wayne Knight character from Toy Story Two was like he's the villain because he buys all these toys and he sticks them in like glass shelves, 
And, you know, <laughs> Woody and Bu- Buzz have to, like, free Jesse from the glass shelf, you know. And then and then the Kelsey Grammer character, I forget his name, but he's the coal miner guy. And he's like, no, we must stay inside these. It's anyway, it's this whole existential, you know. So so there's a value judgment they're making there. <laughs> right. right. And they're saying, I mean, yeah, and I've become the guy. I've become the villain. I'm, I don't play with my toys. I, I just buy them and stick them on the shelf. Uh, never to be played with again. <laughs> and I can't help it. I'm sorry. I'm the bad guy. Well, that's fine. You're still getting some sort of joy out of it. Yeah. Right? I am. <laughs> it, is, it is not surely a compulsion. You'd tell us if it was, right, Keith? Well, it's, it's kind of a compulsion. <laughs> but the other day, actually, the, there's a new line of um, Transformers figures who are very much reminiscent of their G1 original 80s iterations. And I've actually been transforming them back and forth from robot to vehicle. So I'm not completely a bad guy, I guess. I still play with my toys, even though I'm 40 years old. That's awesome. See, like, Transformers <laughs> perfect. How can you not play with the Transformers? The, the, the transforming them is integral is to... Is the point? <laughs> yeah. So I'm pleased to hear that there's an exception in that case. Yeah. But, you know, but to, to be fair, Transformers of the 21st century are way more complicated than they were back in the eighties. Sure, so sure. there is a, there is an aspect of me that's like, once it's transformed, it's like, I'm not transforming it again, <laughs> depending on how difficult the transforming <laughs> is. It's oh, like, okay. you're just going to stay a robot dude. Cause like <laughs> it took too long to get you. Just that. for the sheer amount of stuff you have to figure out. Like, yeah. And then the, uh, the instructions are not, maybe, maybe my cognitive abilities have decreased over time since I was five years old. But even following the direction, sometimes it's like, holy shit, how are kids supposed to do this? Yeah. I do appreciate the engineering, though. Like, the engineering of these fucking toys is ridiculous compared to the the toys from the 80s. So So you're saying the Transformers are actually more complicated as a... The, the transformation process then like i remember like the generation one some of them were like fairly straightforward and there are a few outliers like jazz was a little harder to yeah. configure into a robot than the other cars of that model because of the right, way his right. feet were and there were little <laughs> there were little sticking points like that jazz was my favorite transformer growing up actually i mean yes me too i mean for the character but the character the, more than the toy, right? Right. Yeah, the because it's Scatman Crothers. <laughs> was complicated. Yeah. I know what I'm saying. But maybe that all that was all good training for like dealing with IKEA and stuff like that. <laughs> in right. Our adult right, lives. right. That's that's exactly what that was. For me, the biggest thing, speaking since we're talking about toys, is that Hasbro unveiled their they finally dipped into the six inch scale for their G.I. Joe toys. They leaked a few days ago images of Snake Eyes. In six inch form. Oh, cool. And and for, for those of you who are not familiar with like action figure collecting or whatever, like six inch scale has kind of become the standard scale for action figures nowadays. Like the Marvel Legends figures, the Black Series Star Wars figures, they're all at six inch scale. And if you remember back in the 70s and 80s, Star Wars and G.I. Joe were three and three quarter scale, which is about four inches. Yeah. And those are the scales we remember as kids. But they've Star Wars over about 10 years ago now scaled up they still have the four inch figures but they scaled up to the six inch scale marvel if you remember the secret wars when we were kids the ones that had the shields with the uh the, do the, remember like, those. the lithograph thing they were four inches but now they're six inches so everything everything is scaled up to six inches nowadays but gi joe has remained at three and three quarter inch forever for hmm, 40 years that's true but now they've finally revealed the six inch scale 
uh, G.I. Joe, they're called the Classified Series, and, and Snake Eyes looks dope. Then they 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 also revealed Scarlet and Roadblock, who looked less dope, but cool. Snake Eyes is clearly the star. And I and I was hoping with the Snake Eyes movie coming out this year that we'd get a line of six-inch G.I. Joe figures, and now we got them. And I, I pre-ordered it, but... Oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> he, he's got the slitty visor or the yeah, hockey he's got mask the, or what? The... No, he's got the visor, the one with the, uh, the the iconic silver like visor. The special Snake Eyes that they released over the weekend is, or that they, they released for pre-order over the weekend has like a shit ton of accessories. So it's the standard figure and he comes with like an Arashikagi weapons rack with like oh. a whole bunch of spears and katanas and size and alternate hands and and he comes standard with his uzi and his katana no timber i was kind of disappointed huh. like you you're giving me all this stuff in a box you couldn't throw a plastic wolf in there somehow yeah but other than that the only the only complaint i had is it didn't come with timber the wolf maybe they're gonna try to sell you that one separately <laughs> i mean that would be audacious yeah but that, which is the problem is i'll buy it and hate myself for it but why but, because I could have held out. It's something you love. Yeah, I could have waited, though, and not dropped, like, $40 on something that's going to come out cheaper with more stuff later, you know? But. And are you going to buy two and play with one, <laughs> Snake Eyes? Or, I, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just putting wrong ideas in your head, but I'm still fascinated no by comment. No comment. I may or may not have ordered two of them. Because <laughs> you got to, like... Adjust all the freaking hands and stuff. I mean, well, especially right. with Snake Eyes. I will just make this argument because he's got all the different weapons and all the flair. And where he's the versatile martial artist, he has naturally more play value than... I can t- I can totally see an argument for most of the G.I. Joe figures are just as good, just poseable. Because they basically... A lot of them yeah. are like one tricks and you just... They've got the weapon in their hands. That's basically right. as much fun as you're going to have with that figure. Right, right, right. I mean, the appeal of G.I. Joe, honestly, as a kid especially, and this kind of explains why they were always three-inch scale, is that the appeal of G.I. Joe is the vehicles. You want to be able to stick oh, them in, like, true that. Jeeps and tanks and jet fighters. If it started out at six... I mean, honestly, G.I. Joe started out at 12-inch scale right. way back in the day before any of us were born. Right. So they, they it was a drastic change from 12-inch to three-inch. But right. then when they made them three inches so that you could buy a giant aircraft carriers which i think was the holy grail for most people our generation yeah i remember that aircraft carrier. <laughs> wow so you, the you think they're going to make an aircraft carrier for the section scale <laughs> that thing would be your kid's entire room oh <laughs> or bigger <laughs> i mean and that's the that's kind of the one drawback of the black series star wars toys is that like you there's a lot of figures but the black series scale vehicles are very few and far between because they're so massive. Sure. I guess there's a practical <laughs> limit there. Yeah. But I feel I'm like I'm waiting that... for the six inch scale X Wing fighter, though. That's the one thing that I think is still possible, although it would be, again, the size of my house. <laughs> it's but... possible. I feel like in our lifetime, that practical limit will be overcome. I mean, eventually people will make the vehicles for the six inch figures, like yeah. just regularly, a lot of them, right? And super nerds will get to have them. Right, super nerds will get. I'm like, I, like I said, I I will buy that. I have a couple six inch scale vehicles for like, they released a six inch scale Batmobile from Justice League Whoa. that fits the, the 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 characters, and there was a six inch scale uh, Batmobile from the animated series that DC Collectibles released, uh, which is huge. And there's a they they also made a six inch scale Batwing from the cartoon, which is like 
insane. Like, I, I, I don't know who was buying it, but like more power to you if you did. Yeah. Mattel released, I re- this was a few years ago. Mattel released a uh, six inch scale. So they also were in the like, we're going to upscale all of our classic figures from the 80s. So Mattel released a bunch right. of He-Man figures a few years ago that were in the six to seven inch range. And then they also released Castle Grayskull, which was scale to the six inch figures. What? Okay. That's like a full it was massive for many characters, right? Right. It wow. was massive. And I ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> it was a pretty good deal when I ordered it, though, for, for what it's worth. Anyway, point is, I ordered it because I'm a dork. And it showed up on my porch one day. It didn't even show up on my porch. Like, the FedEx guy had to, like, knock on the door. And I had to right. answer it. And he's like, here you go. And he hands me this gigantic box. It's like it's like when you order a mattress, you know, from one of those like oh apps. Oh my god, yeah. You know, and like if you open it, it springs or out. Like that's kind of like a pallet of wood. <laughs> I mean, I can. Yeah, a pallet my, my of wood. Bra- exactly. My my brain is hurting just trying to visualize <laughs> that scale. So it's I don't I don't remember how big it was, but it was quite large. And I carried it into my house, and I set it down on the floor, and I said to myself, "What the fuck am I going to do with this? I have literally nowhere to put this motherfucker." <laughs> And immediately just went to eBay and sold it like the next day because oh I was like, I, I, why do I have this? I can't do anything with it. There's nowhere I can display it. <laughs> if I had like a 5,000 square foot house, maybe I could have like a room dedicated just for like, but, uh, so yeah. many microcosmic lessons about capitalism. <laughs> right. I learned illustrated lesson. right there. True. Do I need a bigger house? To hold my bigger castle gray skull, or do I just move it on through the chain? <laughs> on the black market. <laughs> yeah. And so, I assume yeah. it requires some assembly too. I mean, so there's a probably there's, I mean there's I'm a assuming labor and time factor involved. Yeah. So. And like and again, once it's built out, what the fuck am I gonna do with it? <laughs> so that's a peek into Keith Chow's world right there. <laughs> Great. So let's talk about a little smaller toy. Creature, yeah. I think you were talking about a baby Yoda as yes. relating to Toy Fair or something. Yes, that's the other thing that's dominating Toy Fair is finally we are getting baby Yoda merch. Because and the nice thing is he does not scale up very big no matter how how big <laughs> right. you get. Like yeah, at life scale, life size not exactly. as big as some, you know, as like, the original. It's no Castle Grayskull. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Life-size Baby Yoda is no Castle Grayskull. Yeah, totally. I'm excited for it. And I actually appreciate the restraint that Luke, and this sounds ridiculous considering it's a billion-dollar corporation, but the restraint that Lucasfilm showed in not releasing Baby Yoda merch right away, because that was one of the things people were complaining about back in November, you know? <laughs> Like, like, why can't I get this instantly? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God, Baby Yoda. I want it now. Yeah. And it's like John Favreau was quoted as saying, in fact, he quote, he's quoted in the piece that I wrote that they, it was intentional on his part as a creator of the show to hold back on any reveals of Baby Yoda because that was the whole appeal of the, especially that first episode. Like, And, mm-hmm. and we live in a day, we live in an age where there's no such thing as like surprises anymore. I was telling you before we started recording that like I accidentally clicked on a hashtag and now I know exactly what Robert Pattinson looks like as Batman and I wish I didn't click on it, you know? Yeah. Because nothing is sacred anymore. And no surprises are sacred. Except right. one could argue having an actual baby, which I have no experience of. I'm just trying to analogize <laughs> it. And it comes out green. Yeah, that would be that would be quite a surprise. 
right? So just, you know, out of respect for that kind of honest, surprising, mysterious journey, all that is great that Baby Yoda was not like instantly known of and thrown in our faces and we surround him. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> he's a baby. Right. Well, but now here's the thing. Okay. After this weekend, it's going to be on all of our faces for now until eternity. Like, just, you can't turn around without seeing some Baby Yoda merch. Well, yeah, right. Because, you know, now he's been born into the world and he's, he's we love him and he's cute and all that. And now we get to have the part where he's really a handful. <laughs> I, I, right. I don't know why I'm making all these analogies when I'm not even a parent, but like, it's just, it's. No, it's like, it's the baby Groot thing. Season two of The yeah. Mandalorian, he's going to be like teenage Groot, right? <laughs> like... Oh God, like I can't even handle that. But he doesn't. He's, I mean, but like, I question what whether the Baby Yoda merchandise. I mean, I personally don't have the same appetite for it because I'm more interested in Baby Yoda as a character. Yeah, I understand yeah. he's just a super cute thing on to be a shirt or a toy. But I mean, part of it is we don't know his whole story, right? Or I mean, not yet. Is, right? Is yet. there serious scholarship on? What Baby Yoda actually is a really... I mean, I like that we're just conventionally calling him Baby Yoda. I totally love that. <laughs> yeah, as Whether try as it, I might. Disney's trying to, like, market him as the child, but no one's calling him that. He's Baby right. Yoda. And, you know, and that's that's kind of a fun, like, fan consensus of that's an okay thing to say without it, you know, being, like, canon or correct or whatever. And I really like that. Yeah. But, of course, it begs the question, is that literally going to be the story? Is he literally Yoda reincarnated? Or it could be. I mean, that's part of the speculation is, like, who exactly is this kid, right? Is, is he a, That was, you know, some of the fan theories. Is he a clone of Yoda? Is he just another, you know, member of the species? And to your point about, like, name sticking or not, remember in the finale of The Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal tells us what his real name is, and yeah. no one calls him that. <laughs> He's still uh, Mando. Yeah. You so, know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> he breaks all the rules. Like, next life. season, they could say, this is my son, you know, Boopy or something, and no one's going to call him <laughs> Boopy. You know what well, I mean? It's oh going to be Please let up. his real name be Boopy. <laughs> <laughs> or Fred or something mundane. <laughs> I just hope he has Beskar armor next year. <laughs> oh my god, now that would be a dope toy. <laughs> See, like that's the mashup I'm talking about. Like bring the softest, cutest thing with the most hard militaristic thing and like <laughs> yeah. throw them together. <laughs> but like holes for his ears to stick out of still. Yeah, yeah, sure. Holes for the ears. Or ear shaped armor. Who knows? Maybe that would be cool. <laughs> or extra rockets that launch from the ears. I mean, they're practically <laughs> two extra appendages. You have to work with. And how many points of articulation in the ears? There should be at least three. <laughs> should be quite articulated. But to your point about the mythology behind Baby Yoda, I, we don't know what it is. But there is now another Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. This weekend was the debut of the final season of Clone Wars, which I'm not sure you uh, have watched. But Didn't watch Clone it. Wars was, was a very popular cartoon on Cartoon Network. Then later Disney XD that ended prematurely for a lot of fans. And they finally are getting their final season and it just debuted on Disney plus. And one of the storylines in the clone wars animated series was the, the notion of the empire or Palpatine's, I guess they, they weren't the empire yet, but like Palpatine's grubby little evil forces were going around the galaxy, kidnapping force sensitive children. Oh. So I wonder if the final season of clone wars will kind of tie into that somehow bring, even though it's set between episodes two and three and Mandalorian set posts episode six i wonder if there will be some sort of bridge between that storyline about kidnapping four sensitive children and the empire's you know thirst for 
kidnapping baby yoda so who knows seems very likely because getting back to the toy thing like it's interesting that to market a toy that has no canonical story right on purpose i mean as you say they're calling it the child and we're we fans are all calling it baby yoda and Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like a a cypher toy in that sense isn't it right 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 i mean there's there there's actually a it's been floating around on youtube for for the last few days but it's an ad for it's going to be one of the commercials that is that are going to air when the toys really hit the market but it's a like you said earlier like a life-size baby yoda that is electronic and coos and like blinks his adorable oh. eyes and stuff. But that's all it does. It just coos. It's like, it's a talking Yoda, but it doesn't say anything. <laughs> it just, wow. says, it just says, ah, you know, because that's all, but like, that's, that's all Yoda says. I mean, maybe. so if that story develops later, I just think it'll be interesting what happens to the toys, you know, retrospectively, right. Uh, what happens to this first generation of baby Yoda appreciation if they ever develop that story. And you, you got to think they got to, but also like it would be sort of nice if they didn't, you know, like if Baby Yoda was just like, like you know, like Keanu, like a template we can all put our <laughs> own like projected love onto. And I mean, this that that's what I think is special about Baby Yoda. And it's, uh, yeah. Hey, speaking of Keanu, one of your nerd pops from several months ago was the fact that they're filming The Matrix in your hometown. Have you seen any of the... Uh, the leaked footage or it's not even footage it's like people with their cell phones (laughs) (laughs) filming them doing the stunts but have you seen what they're doing i just saw a little bit i didn't really like zero in on it because i get scared of that stuff too (laughs) honestly in today's world it's a weird thing like i have more literal fear for people doing physical stunts even though right. a I know a lot of them like are doing what they love and we praise like movies like birds of prey for doing practical stunts instead of cgi yeah that would be the b and it's more awesome that way but i also think there's there's that weird jackass factor of like why uh, do do you have to put yourself in right, right, harm's right, way right. especially in in a especially in a big public place like san francisco you know (laughs) real building they have to shut down all this normal city activity to pull off this one stunt i mean like there are just so many variables there right right right. and i sound like a weirdo for saying this but in (laughs) that case it's almost preferred they generated it all on a computer in cj yeah yeah yeah. anyway that was a long way of saying i was too scared (laughs) that's actually an interesting segue because we were just talking about the mandalorian i don't know if you've seen any of the behind the scenes footage of how they filmed the mandalorian but did you know that all of that was filmed with like rear projection in a soundstage and none of that was like that's fucking cool because i had no idea that like all of the desert scenes were actually filmed with like and not just cgi but like rear projection like superman the movie style you know yeah which is a, a great conflation of like old and new technologies right? yeah yeah because yeah. they used to have matte, matte paintings and all that and in original star wars and they're just way way better now <laughs> <laughs> or way way more convincing now um right and i think all to clarify i think all that shit is cool because it's in a controlled environment in movie no studio and like there do all the freaking daredevil stunts you want it's just something about the big stunts in the urban setting now that i think it's like oh playing with fire but right. um because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of shit going on in the city naturally right <laughs> just, well and yeah. and to be fair that's also how mandalorian was able to keep a secret and yeah. like the batman can't keep a secret because people 
right. And like, and you know, I'm not, I'm not actually advocating anyone goes and clicks on that hashtag because I don't want you to have your experiences spoiled like mine was. <laughs> because you know, I mean, when you see people in in stunt costumes, and stuff, was it? What, is it is it pink now? I mean, well, I no, but it's just like it's a, anytime you see like costumes out of context and not in the proper lighting, they never look as good as you as they're supposed to. Okay, and then sure. people prejudge, right? I did. I was guilty of this when the Flash TV series started filming, and I was like, "Fuck this show!" His costume looks stupid, and then it became one of my favorite TV shows. So, like, I understand the 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 temptation of jumping to conclusions when things don't go your way or don't seem to look like how you think they're going to look, and I don't want to advocate for that kind of mentality. But you know, there's there is something to be said about like keeping the mystery, and it's my fucking fault, right? Like, I didn't have to click on it when someone said, "Hey, don't look at this." I was like, "What? Don't look at what? Don't look at that?" Oh, you're right. I shouldn't have looked at it. You know, it is what it is. Before we wrap up, I want to come back full circle to Birds of Prey since since this is the Birds of Prey Hard Knock Life podcast, and and just and shout out until it makes a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep it up. So unless if you don't want us to talk about this movie anymore, go fucking see it. One thing that was released last week that I'm very excited about was the original score by Daniel Pemberton. Oh, it's fucking amazing. The the soundtrack itself was pretty cool, but like this is not the pop song soundtrack. This is the the actual score from the film, and I I implore everyone to go out and stream it or download it or buy it in a store if that's a thing you can do. I don't know. Can you still buy music in stores? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but check out Daniel Pemberton's Birds of Prey soundtrack. It's so good. The Huntress theme alone is like my favorite piece of music composition in the last twenty years. Right on. I've been listening to it like on loop since since it came out. It's it's like it's kind of got like a it's you know if you remember from the film it's got like a Porter's Heady vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So check out Daniel Pemberton's soundtrack, please. Totally. That score was good. There was a recurring theme that's like the main Birds of Prey theme that sort of quoted evoked something like Carmen or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's because it's like a guitar riff. Yeah, yeah, it's real good. Totally dug that. Anything else nerd popping or are you ready to wrap up? Well, I feel I should mention the other Birds of Prey thing I was going to mention. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you something. Are you familiar with the DC Black Label comics yes. concept? It's basically their mature comics, which should be just Vertigo, but then they want to be able to use their like... Vertigo was their mature imprint, but didn't have anything to do with like their actual superhero characters. And Black Label was just a version for them to like show us Bruce Wayne's dick basically is okay because <laughs> like I wasn't sure how much you know how much history this has I mean just for an example for context Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey Black Label a limited series issue one just came out just very recently and I read it and it's basically they swear a lot and it's a little sexier than a standard comic should be but also not really so mm-hmm. I, I was just trying to I, I, I thought it was a really cool comic, but I was trying to ask about this adult content thing. And I don't know if you, if you, if you had an opinion on whether that's um, like just a, a stunt or has a value in storytelling. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a little perturbed by it just because I feel like DC basically canceled Vertigo in favor of DC Black Label. Huh. And Vertigo to me is such a, and I say this kind of biased because I knew people who worked for Vertigo. But Vertigo itself was such a, an iconic brand. Yeah. Sandman. Enigma. And DMZ. 
you know, which is turned, which is being turned into an HBO Max show. Yeah, but I think Ava DuVernay is doing it. Like those comics that that were that fell under Vertigo, I just felt like deserve more respect. And like, and oh. I understand that they that you didn't use like superhero characters in the Vertigo line because, like the superhero character, they they were more concerned with keeping the superhero characters under a certain kind of umbrella, which makes sense. But they, I don't know how I necessarily feel about like the blurring of the line between like, let's just have like R-rated Batman stories or R-rated whatever, you know, like right. to me it was just an excuse for them to so, so they could draw Bruce Wayne's penis in a comic book and right, like, which they congratulations. did that and we they saw that, that that that's we literally saw Bruce Wayne's junk. Yeah, I, I didn't. I'm I'm taking your word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, oh. in the first printing of Batman Damned. You see the outline of of Bruce Wayne's uncircumcised penis, oh, and right. and then there was actually an uproar about it. And then in subsequent printings, they they blacked it out so you can't see his dick, which kind of defeats the purpose of again, like because so people complain. It's like you know, what if my son or daughter or whoever my child grabs a copy of this Batman comic because he loves Batman? He opens and he sees like a butt naked Batman. And so DC relented and they were like, okay, for subsequent printings, we won't show that panel the way it's originally depicted. And again, it's like, well, you know, and I'm too of two minds of that too, because like, well, you should be more careful about letting your kid read R-rated material if you don't want them to see R-rated material. But again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about like how I feel some kind of way about like, like I said this about Titans all the time, like R-rated Titans. Yeah. You know, to me, it doesn't make sense. And, and again, we're singing the praises of Birds of Prey, which is a very hard R. Yeah. But. But more in the Vertigo way. I mean. But in the Vertigo, plus, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so, what I would say. I, if, uh, like, the fear is that uh, it, you just make it too titillating or mm-hmm. raunchy for its own sake. I mean, that's always the fear. Exactly. As right, opposed right. to using the potential of just telling a more adult stories and that you know that applies to our you know pg-13 versus r rating right conversation in, in the movies as well anyway so I, right. I was thinking about things like that in terms of, like in like in this black label birds of prey place up the queer storylines more which i don't think in themselves are adult content right 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 <laughs> there's a scene where like huntress helps harley quinn with her bra while they're costuming which again is like a little not necessarily you'd have in like the standard comic book but i also don't think of it as adult content per se mm. uh, no i and i dug the stuff like that uh, you know and you know you have to check yourself because yeah it it's it, it is sort of male gazy it, but it's also like playing on those things like they are just literally costuming each other as superheroes do um anyway that was a, to me that's also nerd popping and also had to mention another birds of prey thing because birds of prey is the best birds of prey is the best i hope it does well i hope uh you know the conversation around its box office changes i feel like people are not talking about it as much anymore at least in a negative connotation uh, i'm looking forward to the home video release i will watch the shit out of it on home video but my my biggest hope right now is that like i said we get more work for kathy ann and christina hodson going forward so for sure but anyway Dominic Ma, how can people find you on the internet? I am at Dama, D-O-M-M-A-H, on Twitter and Instagram. And I also write around places like Nerds of Color and MelancholyBall.com and Screen Rant. You can find me on Twitter at the real Chow, the underscore real underscore Chow. Follow the Nerds of Color at the Nerds of Color and go to HardKnockMedia.com to find this podcast and all of the podcasts in the Hard Knock family. 
including Ask Bye Girls, Daisy Geek Girls, We're Not All Ninjas, and more. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, NPR One, anywhere you get podcasts. Please give us a rating and review if you do. Support us on patreon.com slash nerdscolor. Find us on GoFundMe and buy merch at TeePublic. Also, click on the ads on thenerdsofcolor.org. That helps us as well. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Shout out to Sean Taylor for joining us again. Yes. Until next time. Yo, Joe. Yo, Joe. Indeed. Bye, everybody. Watch it on your screen, hit play, so check. This is the hard knock life, but not the chicken kind.